Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today we're going to talk about Mitch McConnell goes all constitutional on the Trump nominees. Texas Eagle Forum President Tracy Bradford joins me to talk about the Texas Mental Health Assessments in Public Schools Act, not good, and Yale Law School censors and punishes Christians and Ted Cruz steps up. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. And welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. Yesterday, headlines were full of criticism of the of Senator McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, because he used a so-called nuclear option to change the procedures in the Senate for confirming President Trump's nominees. It's not nuclear, it's constitutional. Nothing in the Constitution requires all of the rules the Senate has cooked up over the years to make to allow the minority party some ability to impact decisions about nominees, whether nominees to the courts or to the to various positions in the administration. What has been happening in the over two years that President Trump has been serving as our president is a relentless stalling and obstruction by the Democrats in the Senate, delaying confirmation of numerous nominees uh, that President Trump has made. And this is different. To be precise, what Mitch McConnell did yesterday, he used a simple majority vote to change a Senate rule. The rule used to say that Democrats, Democrats or the minority party could have up to 30, three, zero hours to question um, a, and debate a particular nominee. And with other delaying tactics also available under Senate rules, they had managed, for example, to delay the nomination of Jeffrey Kessler. He was nominated to be the Assistant Secretary of Commerce. This was a textbook case in Senator McConnell's opinion. Kessler was nominated. The Democrats delayed his consideration of his nomination for seven months in the committee, just wouldn't let it get to the, wouldn't get to a vote, and then delayed it for six more months before it got to a floor vote. And they finally got to vote on him. The vote was 95 to 3. The Democrats saying yes, the Democrats were playing games using the rules to stall President Trump's ability to fill his administration. The reason this really matters is, if President Trump cannot put his nominees into the positions in a variety of agencies that he wants, the people sitting in those jobs are Obama-era holdovers who sabotage the Trump agenda, who delay the Trump agenda, who simply are not on board with moving forward with the Trump agenda. So the consequence of this, as of September 2018, I couldn't find more recent numbers, but as of September 2018, 181 nominees President Trump had made were still waiting, sitting in the Senate, languishing. There are also 130 district court, federal district court vacancies languishing. So this rule, basically, rule change is going to say, you know what, folks? We are going with the two-hour debate, and then we're done. We're going to move it forward. It, it helps the, um, the um, Senate be able to confirm or not. They can turn down a nominee, and they have done that, but... They have to move forward and make a decision because these nominees are kind of waiting around. Their life is on hold, waiting to find out if the Senate will confirm them. I want to just tell you, um, 
a little uh, side note that came up yesterday was actually pretty entertaining. Senator Tom Cotton made a very short speech on the floor. I'm going to play for you what he had to say about this change in the rule, cutting the 30-hour debate down to two hours. I'm explaining what it was funny what he said, and I'll explain why he said it. Go ahead, Senator Mr. President, Cotton. we've reached this point today not just because of what's happened to Donald Trump's nominees over the last two years. We reached this point because 16 years ago, the senator from New York started this Senate down a path that was unprecedented in 200 years. For 200 years, any president's nominees got an up or down vote. That was the custom, the unwritten rule, if you will. But starting in 2003, specifically geared towards a brilliant young lawyer named Miguel Estrada, the senator from New York warped those unwritten rules and customs. That's brought us to where we are today. So today, Senator Schumer will reap what he sowed. I will call it Miguel Estrada's revenge. And I yield the floor. What Senator Cotton is talking about is in 2001, President George W. Bush nominated Miguel Estrada to serve as a federal court judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which is considered the premier circuit court. It's, thought it's one most frequently people are nominated from there to go on to the Supreme Court. This is 2001, and Senator Schumer did not want Estrada to be confirmed. He used the then available filibuster rule, no longer, that's also no longer available, but he used that filibuster rule to filibuster this nominee seven times. Seven times. Schumer just wasn't going to let Estrada be confirmed. Estrada gave up, went on his way, went back to the private practice of law. But later, uh, after this whole charade of Schumer was saying, well, I really, you know, I just want some documents Justice Department wouldn't give me, and until I can see this or that, I can't confirm him. However, uh, you know, truth came out. What happened was the, um, what actually caused Schumer to want to block Estrada was finally released and made available to the average Joe American, and that was this. Someone on Senator Durbin's staff released communications showing that the real concern Schumer had and the Democrats had about Estrada was that he was an articulate, conservative Hispanic who would no doubt serve well on that District Court of Appeals and no doubt end up on the Supreme Court. And the last thing the Democrats wanted was an articulate Hispanic conservative on the Supreme Court. Schumer came up with a whole bunch of lies, a whole bunch of explanations. And, oh, well, these are my, this is my reason, that's my reason. He just was playing politics, as he and the Democrats have been doing in the Senate during this entire tenure of President Trump's first term. Schumer had a statement out denouncing the vote yesterday and saying it's really terrible. We need, we need adequate time to review all these people. Folks, it is a blessing to wrap up the first five again. This is not... The nuclear option, as the media says, it is the constitutional option. It is the McConnell permitting the Trump agenda to go forward by getting Trump's choices into the courts and into the administration, because as it is, and that doesn't happen, Trump's agenda is being delayed, and that's not fair to the American people. And next up, we have in studio a friend, and also she is the president of the Texas Eagle Forum. And we're changing topics entirely. This has been a most interesting time. As you know, if you listen to my show very often, I pretty much talk about uh, national issues. But what we're going to talk about, even though it's happening here in Texas, is a national issue. And that is 
the effort of leftists in this country to push through policies that permit public schools to gather more and more and more data about children from the youngest ages in school, gather data, do uh, questioning kids at school about all sorts of things in their family and their personal life, and, and at least two bad uh, consequences flow from that. Uh, one is the data stays with the child's file, as they, as they said in that famous movie, forever. You can't get rid of it. You get data in some kid's file from kindergarten about comments he made from about home, whatever he says, with the child forever. That is the first and most egregious um, and just unfair to the child consequence. The other is it just grows the power of the federal government to keep tabs on Americans. It just further further destroys or, or reduces our ability to have any sense of privacy in our families. But in the great state of Texas, which is normally pretty protective of privacy, there's a bill pending, and we're going to have Tracy tell us all about it, but it's in our, legislation, our legislature here in Texas, which if you're not in Texas, I'll remind you we're really lucky here because our legislature only meets for six months every other year. There's only a limited amount of damage they can do in terms of growing government. But SB 10 was a bill pushed by our own governor, our Republican governor, Governor Abbott, and it has now been introduced in the Texas legislature. It's been discussed to death. The essential notion of it is it builds a consortium to study um, answers and behaviors that kids give to essentially begin creating a kind of a psychological profile consortium. And I'm not even doing a good job explaining, so I'm going to turn it over. First, let me introduce Tracy. Thank you for coming and joining me. It's good to be here. Glad you're here. And you've been in Austin as an activist, as president of the Texas Eagle Forum. And you guys are one of the few groups that actually have been challenging SB 10. So can you start with a better description than I gave of what the bill is all about and then why you guys are challenging it? Um, sure. First, I just, you know, we went down to Austin not having this on our radar whatsoever. So I, I wanted to put that out there because just to show you how it caught our attention, when we heard Governor Abbott's top five emergency items and mental health care was one of them, it, it just hit me as, oh, wow, why are we venturing, big government venturing into this area? And so we started searching all the, um, you know, you can go online and search all the bills that have been filed. And there at that point were about 200 bills that mentioned wow. mental health. It's past that now. And <laughs> the ones, so we immediately were looking for what are the ones that are really going to have the chance to move and right away we saw SB 10 um, we saw it was authored by all 31 senators um, and people keep telling us when we talk to them about that well aren't you doesn't that give you comfort that all 31 signed on it and so that means Democrats and Republicans mm -hmm. yeah and anyone I've asked about that felt the same way we did in that it's no that's not comforting that's actually a, a flag for us to start looking what's going on you can that quickly get you know, 10 people onto this huge bill. It's a $100 million price tag is what we're told, just for HB, uh, SB 10. There's also HB 10, which creates a mental health institute, uh, behavioral health institute. There is SB 11, which is a big one um, with, that's the school safety. And, and it goes on and on. And you've got the, uh, the ones that address the uh, trauma-informed care. Yeah. And you'll see that, that language you'll see that repeated through all of these bills. Trauma-informed care. care. We're going to come back to that, but can you tell me the basic thing? What is SB 10 trying to set up? The consortium, which right off the bat was interesting to me because it lists 
the heads of uh, a number of colleges or, or universities, the head of the psychiatric department. And first off, to me, a mental health consortium would not just be, this is more like a psychiatric consortium. You know, it's not, okay. a, you're not yeah. bringing from various thoughts, you're bringing from one, which is diagnose and also they can administer drugs. That's the, the form. So that one caught my attention. Plus what we see nowadays, what is being pushed as acceptable for um, parameters. So that was disconcerting. But then you start to look at, they would be doing testing on children um, they also want to push funds to get more people into this arena of mental health care. Um, not, not that that's a bad thing, you know, to get more people that are, are working as nurses and doctors in this arena. The problem is when you start having these colleges having either clinics on site, on the campuses, or in the district. On public school campuses. That was one of the, the drives, okay. yes. And there are three, I think, school districts right now that have, um, I think there's one up even here. Um, not too far from here, that has a, a very large clinic. It's a for it's a counseling clinic, is what they call it. But this is this is really having to do with setting up the framework. This is kind of we've been describing it to people. You're setting up the skeleton for all of this other to fall onto. Mm -hmm. And so this would be the foundation for it. All these other bills that then go into what we would consider encroaching on parental rights, encroaching on the family, encroaching even on the teaching hours for Pete's sake. I don't want my kids going to school and you're spending all your time or a good deal of your time on social and emotional issues versus math and reading and writing. Okay, you mentioned this questionnaire. Let me, I meant to say when I introduced this topic that one reason that Governor Abbott gave for this being a priority mm -hmm. item was the most unfortunate and tragic shooting we had, a school shooting in Santa Fe, Texas, um, and is that right, Santa Fe? Okay, mm -hmm. and where, of course, there's so much public outcry, and there should be, but public sure. outcry, you gotta do something, you have to fix this, this can't be happening, they happen too often. So I think that there was, both Democrats and Republicans felt like, well, we have to do something that shows that we're trying to fix it, we're sure. trying to address it. So this is one piece of trying to address it, was trying to figure out early on, and young, and when students are younger, are there hints, are there tendencies, are there issues that are raising alarm bells that maybe this would help us identify students who may later turn out to be violent or, or commit horrible acts where maybe if we recognize a problem sooner, we can address it, we can you know, help that child, we can pull that child out of the normal system and say, hey, you need some attention here. So it is well-intentioned, but the, just the picture I mean, you don't have to agree with that, but... It no, I because I, I, we don't know what the intentions are, but we do agree. You know, it's a horrible thing to see. Um, it, it's also disconcerting, though, to think that, that government is the answer, especially for us as conservatives, because we're ruling out or, or looking at it almost like a child is created within a vacuum, his personality, and there's no way to be able to, in six or eight hours in a classroom, figure out... Who, who that child is going to develop to be. I mean, you have kids that have horrible trauma in their life, and they grow up to be fine, productive adults. You have kids who have no real serious trauma in their life, and they can grow up to be problems. Problems. So even the World Health Organization, even the, the previous head of the APA, which is the American Association, uh, Psychiatrist Association, said it's very fluid trying to diagnose a child. It is, is a very difficult thing to compare what is normal and developmental in one child might seem odd in another child. As a parent, I 
have seven kids. I've homeschooled them, so I have seen, and I can tell you, (laughs) what works with one child doesn't always work with the other. And so I appreciate the concern, but I think we are making a huge leap that is, first of all, have you ever seen government create a program and this big and then it not keep growing? That was my next point. And I do want to dive in and talk about the kinds of things the government is contemplating doing in this bill. But yes, there has, you can hardly think of a program government created and actually after several years said, you know, that didn't work so well, let's pull it back. It almost never happens. It always grows. It always grows with intensity. It grows in size and it grows in just power over a, a depth or breadth of power over whatever the, ever the topic is. So on this, back to the school bill in Texas, I know you're saying a bunch of them, but this, this basic idea, leave this five bill numbers, the basic idea is to begin monitoring children at young age in school by, question, by giving them a questionnaire and figuring out are there any kind of flags as a result that co- cause us to think this kid should be pulled out and given some special attention or further analysis. So you sent me, we talked before the show, you sent me some of the questions, I, I print out, I don't know how many copies, but anyway, you know what? Uh, uh, for our listeners, I'm going to tell you: you really need to be thinking about how your kid might have answered some of these questions. We have three grown kids. I mean, one of them in here has to do with: Have your parents ever made you uncomfortable? I mean, you ask your teenage son when you picked him up at the party at 11, and everybody else had a curfew of midnight. Yeah, my parents made me uncomfortable. I mean, there's so there's so much in here that's vague. And, and I, anyway, so I'm going to let you just comment about your assessment or your thoughts about the questions they want to ask kids. And you're welcome to. Well, I think as you start to, to look into this and what, what are we considering and you start researching the different bills that said that would like hang on to this structure and what they want to codify into law. There are things like trauma-informed care, which addresses that stress is toxic stress permanently will damage the brain. Well, you can look at, uh, again, in the field, you've got people saying that is absolutely ridiculous. There's no proof for this. And then you have the other side who agrees that this works, this trauma-informed approach. I have wondered, basically, if a lot of this is referred to children with CPS. And so you would think, okay, you've got the children in the system. How can you help these children? But this is starting, this is directed at school children. This is directed at everyone's kids that go to school. If a teacher, they, they have bills this session that would increase training for teachers, lawyers, judges, that kind of thing. So everybody's kind of on the same page. But I will tell you, go try to find one definition of trauma-informed care. And even the group that helped craft sb10 says you can go straight to their website and it says there are a lot of different uh, definitions for trauma-informed care so So this trauma-informed care and i i'm grateful for everything you sent me to read um, tracy sent me a bunch of links and i started reading it realizing that you know this is this is public schools we're talking about and there's not really discussion in there about reading writing math english i mean now that this is all about the child as a as a psychological being as and so this trauma informed care is essentially around the idea that if a child has experienced trauma in their life at home the school should have be trained to deal with them or handle them differently than you might a child who's come from a healthy household mm-hmm. is that about right yes and so now you're putting on to teachers and and I know there will there's been back and forth on when we're not asking teachers to diagnose no, but you're asking teachers to spend part of their day. Look, a good teacher 
we've all had them, would notice if something is off with a child. Right. And they would talk to the parent. And what we're doing now is we're burdening the teacher over and above what's already in the schools. Because there's some of this stuff's already operating, and I don't think that's what people understand. To act like we're not giving any help in the mental health area is, is wrong. Yep. But to start putting this on teachers that need to then assess a child to, to, see, to see if there's further uh, help that needs to happen. Well, then when you look at the tools for assessing children and you see one, one of the ways they do it is adverse childhood experiences. Let me jump in. That is a test, a, a list of questions. Uh, that was one I mentioned a moment ago about, you know, if your kid answers yes to my parents ever embarrass me. Yeah. So ACE, Adverse Child Experiences, it is a questionnaire they give kids. And the, the deal is, what is it if you get more than five or ten points, whatever it is, then you refer to a further assessment. Is that right? And it can vary depending on the test. And there's a, a lot more than these. These were some of just the basic ones. But even as a basic test, um, they raised our eyebrows pretty quickly. Uh, one, because they do give them as young as, um, I'm going to say, I've been told they give them as young as three. I'm going to say, let's just start at first grade. Okay. Um, would you want your first grader reading some of this or having someone question them? Think again, children are impressionable. So you take a child, separate them out, and start asking them these kind of very personal questions, some of them. Some of them are, have you ever been insulted at home? That's like, true. My, like, my so, older brother? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, it, so a child, we want them to be honest, right? Yeah. And so then they're honest. Well, where could that start to place them? Now, we hope and we know that most teachers are going to be able to talk to a child and, and figure out on their own. I get back to, you know, we're putting a child, we're making this seem like our only hope to reach these children is through the six or eight hours they're in school which isn't true. Children have neighbors, they have parents, they have family, they have worship centers, they have activities. There's, there's places where people can pay attention. I, I think my frustration with all this comes in, we hand our kids a cell phone, we give them a lot of times just carte blanche to what's on social media, which is a lot of times I don't even understand it. And then we also are trying to tell them hey, you know what, in second grade, you are a girl, but you may not be a girl. You may feel like a boy. And the reason I bring this up is because this is not some little side, oh, she's a crazy conservative. This is already in programs. This has already been being woven into the schools. Round Rock, and I actually brought you this, Round Rock recently held this workshop for sixth grade through 12th grade. They didn't yep. bring in someone who could maybe Let's just say, for all intents and purposes, people wanted to go. They didn't bring in somebody that was going to talk to about there are different people struggling with different things. They brought in someone who identifies as non-binary. I mean, they jumped to the furthest place you could yep. with a room full of kids in Round Rock, Texas. Right. And you, the power of suggestibility, I mean, I've read so much along that. I can't remember why I was reading about it a few years ago, recognizing how... Kids, you, you think, well, kids are just going to give you straight out answers. But the truth is, once you plant the seed, and this was true in some cases that were, they, um, were child sex abuse prosecutions where a, a, a false accusation was made, but then children in a, in a preschool were questioned over and over and mm -hmm. over, and pretty soon were adopting the scenarios the questioner gave them mm -hmm. and say, yeah, that, and, until they had a, 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 a whole host of bizarre stories claiming they were true because they because they were parroting what they were being questioned 
and the whole thing was untrue. But I mean, the, yeah, the power. Okay, well, so I'm gonna you. We talk about this idea of teachers becoming good at being um, discerning and dealing with trauma-informed um, assessments. The other thing that I noticed a lot of discussion about was social and emotional learning, SEL. All of this, um, this is you know beyond the time I've, my, my kids are grown, so I've not been aware of all this in schools, but this SEL idea, social and emotional learning, can you first just tell us what that is, and then we'll talk about why it's all uh, also intermingled in this. Again, you have another term that's very fluid. But Fluid, bottom okay. line, cause, because really, if you try to go search any of these, you're going to find this kind of moving target. But the thing about SEL that has developed over time, and they're seeing that it's not actually working as they thought they would, it, it, it's conveyed as we want to help children develop social and emotional standards or parameters so that they can make good choices in life and they can go forward and, and have um, tools to help them, which... That sounds nice, but I don't think that's necessarily the school. It's not the school's responsibility right. when you're, because here's the problem. They decide the norms. They, the school, decides the norms. Whoever is, wherever that foundation, SEL was brought out several years ago, and it's a foundational piece to all of this mm -hmm. because it, they, they are very open to say, look, the groups that, that are supporting this, this whole trauma-informed care uh, approach, they are very clear on we we want to start as early as possible to assess children we get a baseline on those children if we could start when they're still in the mother's uterus and talk to them and get a baseline for the family <laughs> yeah. and i know this sounds crazy but when you keep seeing it over and over in different places and and i encourage people go look at some of these groups but you know when you have social emotional learning put into place someone's deciding what is socially and emotionally appropriate the norms are not yep is that going to be us i mean look at what we've got already in the schools and as parents that's always been the foundation we put in for our children yep you know this um i will tell you first of all on our website americacanwetalk.org on the home page if you go believe beneath shows and scroll down it's a list of links there and you can click on and much of what we're talking about is the, is listed there because Thanks. i really want to be able good. to read some of this yourself because I think you know, a lot of us sent our kids to school and we honestly didn't really worry very much the school was shaping their morals. I mean, you know, the school would impose discipline and say you can't yes. lie, you can't cheat, you can't, you know, be violent or something. But this, the, the overarching picture I have of this and why I just really, uh, really thought it was worthy of talking through is that it's a sense that the state really has a legitimate role in raising your children, assessing your children, uh, labeling your children, putting that label on them for life based on some test they took in kindergarten about whether my mother ever sounds mad at me, and then and then moving forward. So the, what they're trying to set up in Texas is the assessment happens, and then if you flunk the assessment test, the ACE, you're sent mm -hmm. off to... Well, I, the, here, there's where kind of the informed parent consent comes in because what you will hear is oh no 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 nothing can will happen unless there's parent consent well there's a difference between just signing a piece of paper that says we're going to be having these tests done or we're going to have these little assessments handed out and there's a difference between signing something and being informed about what you're signing yeah and so that you know where is this data going once you collect it who is going to have control over that data, not just signing a piece of paper. And to be quite frank, if you think that those schools are all gonna follow what we've been told, well, it's already you know, in legislation or it's already in the law that we have to have parental consent. 
first of all, a lot of the, the parameters or the protections from a federal level were watered down under every Student Succeeds Act. The other thing is we've got a few cases just out of one school, Fort Worth, and I'm sure many of y'all remember when they jumped the shark on the whole gender identity issue, yep. but they were sending out false material. They were parents. sending out to parents, this is what we're going to discuss. And then when the parent finally pushed, they, they were being told they couldn't even look at the material. And when the parent finally did, they weren't talking about basic mental hygiene or, or sex ed that's kind of your basic, don't do it, here's what it is. You know, No, this was all about stretching as far as they could over transgender. Why are we doing this to our kids? We wonder why our kids are stressing out. We get back to non-stop access to all of this online then they're being bombarded in school now they're being told to be in conflict some of them with their families with their family exactly right if their parents have taught them something different about all this um, on the consent issue so i agree i want to really want to drive that home because some of the defenders of all this say well there's consent required in the law well number one you i don't know you there's also a lot of exceptions and there was a, a tele medicine uh, study done with Texas Tech and we have those forms and I can send those to you to put them up so people can look at them if you'd like but you can see it. where it says you have consent except if this information is good for the common good if this is I mean so it's like you've got <laughs> yeah. a list of things that will protect your information unless well that to me does not seem I didn't con I would not if I knew I would not consent to that at least you got to see that form right but yeah, I got to tell you the consent thing. Number one, it is if you you homeschooled your kids, but I can tell you, raising three kids and four of them over from school, and the kids, mom, you got to sign this, and you just, you know, I trusted our kids' school. They weren't a Christian school, so I wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't, but still, I I trusted them. I just signed the form, wasn't too worried about it, um, and I think parents would unknowingly sign. Oh, we're going to do some testing. If the school was forthcoming enough to say, we're going to ask your children all about your life at home and how your parents behave and do you ever hear them argue and do you ever feel uh, threatened by them? Do you ever feel upset? Do they ever raise their voice? You know, the parents might say, mind your own business. But, so, but the parents will sign because they don't know. Number two is mm -hmm. any law that passes like this can always be amended. So someone will come along in two years and say, you know, I know we put that in there about consent. But actually, we're gathering such good data. There's no reason they don't need the parents don't need to consent. And why would any parent who is law abiding? Why would they mind? The ones who won't consent are the ones we're worried about. So just take away the consent. That is as predictable as a sum will come up tomorrow. It will change absolutely. The law. And there are even stories from people that this has happened to, or their child got the wrong assessment and they can't get it off the records. And yep. so, for I, I think my the frustration here is is this is a this is a a huge move and we are rushing through it. And at the end of the day, I in my heart of hearts, and I think the people we've talked to, this isn't going to change the problem. And yeah. until we as people decide to take action as we the people, you know, and whether it's with our kids or we were the center for everybody in the neighborhood. And you know what, that wasn't always a fun thing to do, but I knew there were kids who did not have parents at home. Yeah. So there's there's so many other options than this. And if it was just this one thing that we could have maybe a, a target, but it's not there. Uh, there are so many bills and they're all putting this language in yesterday the the HB3, which is the school financing. There was an amendment put in there and you see some of that same language got tagged on into that bill. OK. And, you know, when uh, we could 
Tracy, sadly, we could talk for another. I, I need you to hear about two hours, but um, I don't have two hours, or at least not well, today. The fact you have that stuff on your website, I can I can give you a few oh, other items. Oh, send me everything, and, and I will put. I it right would up encourage there. people if you doubt or have questions, go on the Texas Legislative Online website. Go watch HB ten or SB ten. There's two, and, or SB eleven. Go watch the hearings and decide for yourself. You can hear what these people are saying. Yeah. They don't hide it. Yeah, you know, one, I wanna make one point about this SEL, social and emotional learning. When you read these articles that are describing, either advocating for it or questioning it, you realize that the school is really deciding. We, the school, the system, the administration, the, the left-wing bureaucracy of this country are deciding, we know what is normal, we know what is not. Number two, we will never ever say in anything we read that the remedy might be something outside of government policy and government control. What you always see advocacy for is more control of the government, more, I mean, more, uh, you know, the, the criticism of society is the, is the problem, the school system is the problem, implicit bias is a problem. I mean, there's nothing ever in there about personal responsibility of a student to behave, to follow the rules, no assessment and no discussion in there of what homes they came from. It's all entirely assuming that the country's made up of people who just never care for the kids and don't provide them guidance. And thank goodness we have big brother government to step in and do it all. I mean, it is just, and I've got to tell you, it feels, I'm sure to many people, like a little bit of a betrayal of trust for Republican-minded people to think this is being pushed through in Texas by Republican legislature. It is, and it's it's... It's, uh, I think when you just sit down, you, you know, you, we talked today and you had read through this material and you already saw what the concerns were. And again, it gets back to when you were talking there, I thought you take a child what, and, and we're talking when I'm picturing as younger children, but think of a high school kid who's maybe having stress at home or maybe feels like he's being mistreated or maybe they are, but you're, you're, you're cornering off a child from their family and you're putting them in a situation that takes into no context all those other places and people that could be touching their lives and then you start them onto a track and they will tell you well you have to include the parents well there was an austin police officer that testified at hb10 they had 875 i believe cps referrals and where does that leave and I, one thing before we leave there is there was one of the consent forms we were reading through said you can disagree and you have due process as a parent but, there's always the but, but we can disagree and we have due process. The school, the administration has this due process. This was a project that gets the money to ex administer these, these tests. So what does that mean? You know, to, yeah. I'm like. What does that mean is a darn good question. So, so I'm now in a battle for due process as a parent? Right, just, over my own child. Which you, and you don't have to send your kids to public school. You can just, which is going to ultimately cause more of this intrusion into the family, into the home. It's going to cause more people to pull the kids out of public schools. Okay, Tracy Bradford, I want to make sure you have a chance to tell people your website. Your text, it's Texas Eagle Forum. Tell them where they can go to your website. And yeah. Thank you. It's TexasEagle.org. I always say Texas Eagle Forum. It's just TexasEagle.org. Or you can find us on Facebook, Texas Eagle Forum. And we are trying to keep this information put up on the website. We do a Monday, uh, the five top action items on Monday. And we try to have all of this information. There was a press conference. There will be more information coming out to give answers 
to questions that have been raised because we want to offer the right information and and this is serious I, I am I have been so weighed down by this because this is this could change the face of this state and this nation all at the hands of well-meaning people but we've taken so many things out of the public school and out of the discussion that are really what could heal and and change this for these children and, and it just it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking. Tracy Bradford, thank you for all you. You're amazing. Tracy, <laughs> as she, you heard her mention, she has seven children. She is down there in Austin nearly the entire legislative session. Wow. Uh, was last time, maybe many times, or I don't even know, but down there looking at the issues, speaking up for conservative values. And many of us you know, would cheer her on, watch thank her you. on Facebook and cheer her on. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm just so grateful you, you, you. Take the, you have the strength to do it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Loved having you. And one last story also relates to schools and the place of freedom of religion in this country. And that is this. We, I want to show a picture of this guy uh, who has this story ongoing in his life. Okay, this is a, uh, he has a very sweet face, I think. This is a young man. He is at Yale Law School. And, at, and he, by the way, is a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy and University of Cambridge. And he served in the Marines. His name is... Uh, I don't have it right here. Oh, yeah, Aaron Haviland. Okay, so he's at Yale Law School, and he's a third-year Yale Law student. He's a member of the Federalist Society, which is a national organization you can join. You can, you know, they, they do conservative things. I, I am a member. I think they're great. But at Yale Law School, their group invited an organization, ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a, you know, nonprofit group that speaks up on behalf of religious freedom. They invited a lawyer from Alliance Defending Freedom to come to Yale to talk about that case. We've talked about in the show many times, the case of the, the Christian baker in Colorado who did not want to make a cake for a same-sex wedding. He welcomes anyone in his store, he, or in his bakery shop. He sells to every, anyone. He, anyone can be a customer. But when asked to make a custom cake for a same-sex wedding, he declined based on his Christian faith, his Christian beliefs, that marriage is between a man and a woman. So when all the way to the Supreme Court, Supreme Court kind of honestly, honestly was kind of edgy. They didn't make a decision as solidly as they could, but they did say that they found in his favor. So this guy at Yale Law School invited a lawyer from ADF to come to the campus and talk about the case. Just, just tell the campus about the case. Well, you would have thought he invited like a white supremacist or something. So at Yale Law School, here is a conglomeration of groups that protested, registered a protest with the school, and as he calls them, a veritable alphabet soup of identity groups. Um, APALSA, Asian Pacific American Law Students Association, BLSA, Black Law Students Association, SALSA, South Asian Law Students, LLSA, Latina X Law Students, MLSA, Muslim Law Students, um, goes on and on. I mean, there are numerous other ones. I'm not going to read them all, but all of these groups at Yale, Yale's campus protested that this ADF lawyer even show up on campus, should not be allowed to speak on the Yale campus. They protested, they, they asked the school to prevent them from coming. The school said, hey, you know, they're, they're allowed to have a speaker. The one group that really bothered me, that, that was arguing against having this ADF lawyer be allowed to come there at Yale Law School, the American Constitution Society. Okay, this is like, I mean, very clearly, if you didn't know this, the First Amendment 
to our precious Constitution, gives us freedom of speech and freedom of religion. But the American Constitution Society took the side of the LGBTQ group and all the other groups I just mentioned to say this group should not be allowed to come. Huge protests ensues. ADF still came to speak. 30 people came to listen. You know, hundreds outside protesting, putting a rainbow flag on the door of the hall. You know, just, just all the usual protest stuff. So that was kind of bad enough. I mean, just kind of silly level. But then the the uh, the group at, um, at Harvard that is the... Uh, um, LGBTQ group actually has a a unique name called Outlaws. That's their name, Outlaws. So the Outlaws group at Yale Law School, the LGBTQ advocates, went to Yale and first demanded that Yale have a policy not to permit future people who apply to the school to be accepted if they would discriminate against LGBTQ people. So Yale kind of blows that off. Then they had the demand and Yale conceded Yale issued a, issued a new policy as of March 25th saying that it was extending its non-discrimination policy to summer public inter, uh, interest fellowships, postgraduate public interest fellowships, and loan forgiveness. Basically, the school will no longer provide financial support for students and graduates who work at organizations that discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity and expression. Yale Law School. He keeps saying it's the best law school in the country. I don't think so. But anyway, Yale Law School said they are going to refuse to give the same stipends they give to all these other students who take summer internships that aren't paid as much as the ones people get when they go to the big law firms. They get paid a ton of money. So they supplement those kids for taking these noble summer internships. This kid said that, I mean, Yale issues a policy just says no more, no more stipends. If you're going to go work for an, an organization that, in their, in their terms, discriminates on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. The kid goes back to Yale, says, well, what about if I want to work at ADF? ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom, you sign on when you go to work there that you will follow the biblical standards related to sexual morality, meaning both you know, same-sex couples, uh, you know, man and woman couples, you, you commit that you will not engage in um, marital intimacy or intimacy outside of marriage. So it applies to, to straight couples. But Yale is, would basically say, yeah, you know, ADF, if you go work there, we're not going to supplement you. We're going to discriminate against you. Well, enter the great Ted Cruz, U.S. Senator from the great state of Texas. Ted Cruz has fired off a letter to Yale, essentially saying, he, Ted, by the way, is the, um, on behalf of, the, he is the chairman of the, judici- the Senate Judiciary Constitution Subcommittee, basically put Yale on notice. We're investigating you for religious discrimination. Save all your documents because you might need them in litigation. You know, warning them, don't go destroying documents. And basically saying, we may come after you because you can't discriminate based on religion. And I want to get to this, how this ties into our talk with Tracy here today. What Yale did was decide that the right of people, the LGBTQ activists, to not be offended by anyone, not only to not be offended, the LGBTQ community is saying, you're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to say out loud any position that disagrees with our position related to same-sex marriage or same-sex relationships. They are bulldozing religious freedom, or trying to, bulldozing free speech, and this is, a, this is one of those things you may think you don't care because your kid doesn't go to Yale Law School and you don't think you're ever going to go there yourself. But this is huge 
or if I was Trump, huge. This is an issue at Yale, one of the premier law schools in this country that is essentially arguing we are not going to tolerate speech that offends the LGBTQers. We think it's more important to honor their sexual preference than to honor religious freedom or freedom of speech. And thank goodness, at least Ted Cruz is going to challenge them because, folks, if we surrender in this issue, if we surrender and say, you know what, well, that's, you know how it goes. They don't really, you know, they don't want to be offended and we don't want to offend them. We're going to lose free speech. Even this kind of thing we were talking about with Tracy Bradford earlier in the show about what happens in Texas. There will be parents who don't want to be involved in this whole process of their kids being cross-examined in second grade and asked about what happens at home. But parents will be bullied. Parents will not want to be the ones saying, no, I, I don't want my kid participating. This is, there's just a, um, a mentality on the American left today on so many fronts is basically saying, we know best. We are the ruling elite. We are going to change society to do exactly what we want it to do. We will bulldoze others and silence others, and we can't put up with it in Texas, and we cannot put up with it at Yale Law School. We have to stand up for free speech. I'm Debbie George S. This is America Can We Talk, and the last 30 seconds before my extremely wonderful producer, Matt, tells me it's time to hang up, I want a quick go to why it matters to you. Why we talked about today matters to you. Matt, we can go to full screen if you can stand it. And I want to just tell you why you should care about McConnell and the Constitution. McConnell and the constitutional option, what really that, why that matters so much to you is that what the Democrats are trying to do in the Senate was to say, we can stop the president from appointing his people, and therefore we can stop the Trump agenda. Therefore, we can stop the will of the American people, our country founded on the right of the we the people electing our government. What the Democrats in the Senate were trying to do was not to have a reasoned discussion about the qualifications of various judges and various appointees. They were trying to say, we're going to stop Trump and you can't stop us. And it does matter if the minority thinks they can do that. Number two, while we talked with everything with Tracy, I could have a 75 bullet point item, but we got to wrap it up here. The mental health data, you need to think about how this will be. You all read the book 1984, I'm going to guess sometime in your life. If you haven't, you should. But 1984 is kind of here. This is the government collecting data about your kids, storing it forever using it in countless ways you will never know, and the bureaucrats in this country becoming the nanny, the mommy, the teacher, and the judge, and there will be no way to undo it. It's why we have to fight it last on Happy Yale Law School, which is not the best law school in the country, but they, they think they are. On this free speech and religion thing, what you're hearing out of Yale is the idea that discussion or support of religious values are grounds to punish university students, to punish them, to censor them. If we let this stand, where will free speech be? Where will we have freedom of religion? I'm Debbie George Addis. This is America Can We Talk. Come back every day, Monday through Thursday. Last thing to tell you very quickly, I'm going to be in California next week, visiting family. I'm going to do the show from California in a little bit of a more relaxed way. I'll, I'll bring you updates from California about what happens when you really let the, mirror, the left just take over everything. So tune in next week, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central. And thank you for speaking up for America. Please always speak up for America because America matters.
Can We Talk? Truth About America.